destroying the entire universe. Welcome to Radio Free Demos, an Ixundraconus fan podcast broadcasting from a post-Demos orbit on Voltaire Station. This week's Breathable Air is brought to you by the new Marscope Summer Prime Catalog. Over two pounds, and that's the digital version. <laughs> so guys, have you gotten your new copy of the Marscope Catalog? Yeah, they've got a great new thing for kids. It's a modular space habitat. Build yourself one piece at a time. That sounds really super pricey, <laughs> but it'll get them out of the house. This place is to tie the kids down so they don't float away. Oh, I like that. That's nice. That's nice. Well, I've started. I've used up all the space on my toggle mm -hmm. and my toggle case. Most of the space on my allotment on the station, so I'm going to have to go extend that a few times. Oh, crap. So if the lights start <laughs> flickering... That's life support memory. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to get another toggle. Like six of them. You took all of this. Oh, yeah, it's true. Uh, I was going through the new frail and somber menswear section. Uh, did you know that Vanessa has over 37 different tweed patterns? It's, it's awesome. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's now possible to digitally encode information in tweed. I didn't need them. Um, <laughs> I wonder if the catalog contains its own catalog. <laughs> How do you scan that? <laughs> Look at the QCAT. Hmm? Sorry, old, old reference. QCAT? Very early on, it was a thing shaped like a long, skinny cat, and it, it, it was basically a barcode scanner for scanning advertisements and, ma and magazines to send you to web, web links, because that was too hard to type in. These actually exist. I've got one in my drawer at work. Oh. Okay. Well, I didn't know. It's also in the Marsco ca catalog. <laughs> yes. Most things are. Except now that now they work on genetics. <laughs> so this week's episode is uh, episode 40, which is a nice round number. The big default in the sky. We'll be starting with a question from the Discord chat about custom pets. Moving on to the main topic, which is Marsco's origins and how it works in the world and how you use it in your campaign. And then inevitably fade to what's awesome this week. Really don't have anything else to say, so we can uh, start with the questions. You never just fade to whatever's awesome. Things are awesome. Be excited. Bam. Awesome. Thank you. This is my <laughs> excited face. We know. It's great for podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so subtle. How can any race be so stupid? Ah, oh, don't ask me any questions. I'm just a hard hand just like you. So, questions and opinions, which are kind of like questions and answers, but we don't really have any answers. Sometimes we don't even have questions. But we always have opinions. We do. We do have those. I got them from the catalog. It's on page 437. <laughs> opinions. This question is from uh, Dakoth, who asked the HSD Discord channel, uh, what megacorp is most likely to sell custom-made pets? I think the wording of the question is kind of important. It's not what megacorp sells them, because probably all of them do. It's what Megacorp is most likely to sell them. So there's some branding here. I don't want to pick at the wording of the question, but what you brought up is is very accurate. All of them is is an answer and is a very valid answer that fully falls within the bulwark of every Megacorp that you have. They're so large that 
all of them are going to sell some sort of entertainment division. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that the question is maybe what company would brand themselves as doing this. My extreme hypothetical was imagine you're on a tiny lost colony and there are only seven kiosks there. What company is going to spend the time to advertise this as their product? What Where is in line with the company's mission? That sort of thing. I think it also plays into the misapprehension, the, the idea that there's only seven companies in, in the world, which is, right. I mean, everybody knows that's not true, but I think it's kind of a ground kind of base level idea about the game that is a little hard to shake. Exactly. There's eight now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wow. I'll watch the levels on that one. No problem. <laughs> Thank you, Ashtar. So of the big seven, What's the, um, the the kind of savior medical corporation? I forget their name. Progenitus. Progenitus. I'm just trying to imagine their... I mean, I guess they'd hook you up with suffering lost pets in need. Yeah, or a pet that's better than you. Right. No, emotional support animals. True. Whereas Pulse would set you up with pets that win. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Essel, who's one of the moderators on the channel, suggested that Pulse is probably one of the companies that has the best bioprinters out there. Which is, I think, accurate, but Pulse's branding is all about being a better you and being the best possible you and being a better you than anyone else around you, which doesn't really lend itself to fuzzy custom-made bunnies in shades of pink or anything like that. Well, why would you settle for a dog with just one tail? And no wings. Yeah. Or lasers. And the knowledge that one day that dog might turn into a massive slavering monster with a video cam on its shoulder to record just how you fight it off. See, this is reason why you don't buy custom pets from Pulse. <laughs> <laughs> Smile, you're on dog cam. <laughs> There's some sort of theology where the, 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 the true God is someone you, you, want to, you don't want to get his attention because he's not a nice person. Maltheism is the general word for that. Th th that kind of comes to mind when, when talking about Pulse. Or any megacorp, really, but That's Pulse, well, Pulse, Pulse is particularly particular. bad about messing with you. Right. They, they do it on camera. They pay you, though. Or you get ratings and plus ones. So we are kind of beating around the actual answer, I think, because I would definitely assert that the answer to the question is going to be TTI. Yeah, the answer to the question is definitely TTI. They specialize in the artificial life and the bioprobes and kind of the yeah. mix and growth thereof. Um, the Uber company's mission is customized life form. Exactly. That's their concept. They do a lot of other stuff that's really exciting, but their, their meat and potatoes is customized life. And presumably, many of their subsidiaries are going to trend that way. They're going to be channeling dollars to that sort of concept. And keeping the idea of custom pets, custom life forms in the forefront is going to be good for their business model long term. And just as part of the business model, not only is there that, there's also the constant cycle of bringing out the new generations and the new <laughs> uh, versions. Time to throw out the dog. <laughs> they made a beta version. <laughs> And the, the artificial <laughs> scarcity of the rare and the elite. <laughs> we need to get a new fish. This one's out of beta. <laughs> I see where you're trying to go with that. I hate you. <laughs> oh. Okay. Hmm. Somber face. <laughs> Never. Although, one thing I'm thinking is if you. Is it in less bad taste to have a custom pet made that looks just like one of your relatives if it's a robot instead of a living thing? 
Are we on robots now? Well, robots. Yeah, robotic pets. You know, imagine the Ibo of of the future. It wouldn't shed as much. That's it it could. Far <laughs> enough in the future, you might not be really seeing robot pets being sold. I would suggest that you're more likely to see the build your own robot pet or grow your own robot AI, uh, pet AI for said robot pet well, man, as hear. like a kit or an educational type. What's that? Funucational? That's uh, not a word. <laughs> edutainment, sir. Edutainment. Thank better. you. Slightly better. <laughs> Activity for up and coming vectors. Just seeing a robot that's a pet might not get along quite so well with Cogs, who might see that as, you know, eh, maybe not. Well, what about biological custom pets? How do, how do vectors feel about that? Vectors oh, we're just are, used to yeah, that. Vectors are pretty thrilled with anything involving, like, massive warping of bodies or science. And it's they're all, all narcissists. It's all, yeah, that too. <laughs> but how smart are you allowed to make your pet before it itself is a vector? Um, the answer is from our uh, blip episode. <laughs> and... How weird does it start getting when you have pets and micros in the same area? So I yeah. saw this on Fur Affinity last week. <laughs> or when your pet is smarter than you. Uh, that's, that's a question, though. What, what, be, what is we the call them line? biological assistants. Uh-huh. Not pets at in, that point. We call them interns. <laughs> <laughs> well, the category of bioprobe covers basically all life forms that are not vectors uh-huh. and that can be the ships that are going through space and those are smarter than you sometimes that can be the orcas under europa which Ooh. are just rumors i understand um Ooh. or or like a toaster that sings what are the social norms about creating property intelligences biological property intelligences i think you just need to register them you know get your patents lined up make sure that they are obviously not sentient it's an order of magnitude less complicated than registering and creating a blip. What, what happens when little Timmy takes his, uh, his pet out and has it get some improvements and now it is sentient? There are probably fees. I'm an English major. I don't have answers. Do you, do you have to adopt it? If you look at the... <laughs> are you common law married? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you look at the existing surgeries, that type of intelligence boosting to an existing life form doesn't seem... Very common. Uh-huh. That that does seem a little bit more complex than though Timmy could just go out on the street and find a black market intelligence booster. And we know you can augment yourself out of being a vector. At some point in time, you're legally not a vector if you're that much better. What are you? A bioprobe. Okay. Post-vectorism. <laughs> yeah, post, post-humanity. <laughs> Going back to the robots for just a second. And I, the pets, I, too. Let's return, return the to center. Uh, so ASR, maybe not might not have a huge, huge interest in selling the robot pets. The robot pet concept is a pretty easy one to run with. I mean, nobody has the monopoly on robots. That's like having the monopoly on plastic. Well, and they're roughly as complicated as Legos at the moment. I mean, a low-level robot is not hard to put together. A low-level AI that would run that is not hard to grow. That this is exactly what you would expect just as, like, standard education for growing kids in ASR. Why don't we have good air conditioning if that's the case? <laughs> we do. We we just have that pesky little thing called air that we can't mm-hmm. vent to get all the chill of space in. Point. <laughs> but what ASR probably does focus a little bit more on is going to be uh, digital pets. They run much more in Solnet or what passes for Solnet, but the digital area 
uh, the AI, the sub AI intelligences and the digital pet whole collect and trade and blah, blah, blah. Hmm. I'll agree focused for him. Yeah, that makes sense. Be a good little market that's always expanding. The number two company for, I think, question as written biological pets, I have to say is Marsco. Marsco tends to sit rather heavily on anything that's a high-end luxury item. While they're not the undisputed masters of biological technology, they probably have some pretty good bioprinters. They are manufacturing concern more than almost anything else. So that seems kind of at the intersection of their interest is um, the creation of stuff, but artificial life would be a part of it. What if you want a pet that's just the shadow of a kitten? TTI. TTI. TTI, okay. Yeah. <laughs> what if you want to get rid of it later? We don't have answers <laughs> for you there. <laughs> We've received messages from their spaceships. For a while, it came in as just a lot of jumbled noise. So this is the first in what I'm hoping is going to be a major arc for the podcast going into the big seven, maybe the big eight, and kind of doing deep dives into their world, into how they can be used as game master tools, all that good stuff. We will try to focus for at least two sessions before we get bored and go off and do something else. <laughs> um, so we're starting predictably with Marsco, uh, the, the great default in the sky. <laughs> Talk about Marsco's origins, which are not so much secret as expired. Mm -hmm. Written by the victors. Yeah, that too. Victors or vectors? Both. <laughs> the victor vectors. Okay. And then go into how it can be used in your world and what uses it already serves in that world without your help. Marsco is, as we all know, pretty much older than dirt because they terraformed Mars. So really. Someone had to make the dirt. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Uh, their company motto is we are, which kind of implies their drive towards presenting themselves as timeless, forever, eternal, unchanging. And as the books will readily tell you, it is none of those things. They mention an aside that it's been bought and sold and traded and splintered and shut down and restarted and rebooted and kickstarted. But don't really go into too much specifics on any of that. It really is just the backdrop of the entire game world. The marketing consultants that came up with that were promptly fired, bought out. And then torn down. <laughs> drawn but in, it still sucked. Drawn and quartered. Yeah, we had it. We, we paid for it. We're not <laughs> going to get rid of a perfectly good uh, catchphrase. Marsco's timetable goes back to before the end of Terran civilization. So we will start at negative 35 AE, the creation of the Geomat. If you read Sound and Silence, they suggest that the Geomat is probably Marsco's or proto Marsco's uh, early work. Remind me what the Geomat is? Uh, it's like a blender. Uh, you put fruit in the top and it spits out a series of lovely... No, it's the molecular printer that you can use to print cities. Sorry. <laughs> you just took the blender away from me. It sounded really good. <laughs> Smoothies after podcast, dear. Okay. Marsco is two main, two main things. It's an agricultural concern and a manufacturing concern. So having the Geomat as their like first product kind of makes sense because it's a lot of both. Oh, I screwed that up. So I don't know. I don't. I think the first Geomat was like 60 AE uh, before the end of Earth. The Geomat 2.0, which is one that's capable of space flight, so space printers, that was 35 AE. And then 33 AE, we already have the three corporations that become Mars Co. fusing together on Mars. So that's like a year and a half. When you look at travel time, which it's like 150 days to get from Earth to Mars, they probably had the paperwork already set up before. Uh, 
even launching their giant space printer into space. We uh, jump from there to the Help Them memo, which is kind of the production of Vector Kind. That's at 23 AE. Pretty much within 20 years, uh, Vectordom is well underway, and humanity gets itself blowed up around 0 AE, or 0, I guess is the proper term. That's kind of the as-written outline. And predictably, Sound and Silence has a lot to contradict that, or clarify that, or what have you. But we won't tell you any of that, so go buy the book. No, this, there's going to be spoilers today, and that's okay. We're uh, The book's been out for, what, like six months now? I think we're, we were encouraged to spoil it day one, actually, by the powers that be. So <laughs> now let's cash that card in. Let's see, the next two big, two big Mars Code missions early on would be the credit, which they created at zero AE. So right about the same time the Earth was exploded, they were fiddling around with uh, cryptocurrencies. And then... 80 after Earth uh, is the invention of the ledger. I'm glad to have a date for that because it's pretty early on. The subtext of all of this is the original Marsco. So I guess I didn't specify this, but three companies kind of fused together to make the Marsco Corporation. We don't really have the identity of those three companies. That's lost in time or what their main concerns were, what they enjoyed doing. There's a couple of places where that number three comes up, like Sentry, uh, the computer system that Backed up Marsco has kind of three patterns embedded in it. I'm babbling a little bit. Marsco Giants tripod. Ignore me. Delete <laughs> right. that. <laughs> so one of the patterns of the kind of secret history, the shadow history of this period is that the humans that founded Marsco are kind of pushed out of the way to whatever degree. We don't really know that. That's all kind of lost in the mists. But certainly by like 60 or so, there was an us versus them mentality going on, both between the vectors and the humans that you might meet on a day to day basis and the powers that controlled Marsco. Well, there was also the us versus them break even within the species. Some of the humans were definitely go along to get along, our best hope of survival. Some of them were definitely more of the feeling threatened and trying to continue the war. Same on the vector side. Some of the vectors were for integration and coexistence. Some of the vectors were for extermination. So, And there was a catchphrase for like vector manifest destiny, which is totally eluding me at the moment, but um, not vector primacy, but kind of the assumption that vectors would be inheriting the world after humans left. So humans kind of, at least in the textbooks, were... Uh, banishing themselves and doing themselves well in advance, which doesn't really seem like humans I've read about in 20th century literature texts, but there you go. All of those still died on Earth. <laughs> you only had the intelligent ones left. So the, the ledger was, in my mind, one of the great tools to drag power away from the corporations and spread it out among the, the public because it made everybody their own little shareholder. And it is well known that every vector has a tiny piece of Marsco in their head somewhere because we all own stock in that company, which, again, kind of democratizes it to some degree. Codes that run the ledger programs are lost in giant vaults now, and no one knows really how they work. So who knows what their original operating parameters were and whether humans could ever actually get property in that manner? Eh, open question. But the development of corporate culture is also the early history of Marsco. And I think the first hundred years or so we get the formation of both Pulse and ASR, the first two spin-off corporations. The ledger is created, and ultimately around 100, 115 or so AD, humans are wiped out in 
a great purge as they are all marched off to Earth to be eaten by bears. Bears. We'll go with that. <laughs> we'll go with sure. that. I don't have a better word for them. Uh, the creation of the Shadow Presidency also during this time, t- time period, which is another weapon against the corporation itself. One thing I don't have a clear idea on is when... Well, there was this one time when Marsco's CEO declared himself God. He was eventually taken down, but I don't have a date for that. And I'd love to, like, see what the brochures from that period looked like. <laughs> we are. So, but I think it was probably around 400 or so AE, which is when Marsco really kind of stepped out of the limelight. Venus was a thing, and that was, like, the ultimate show of vector power. And then we felt guilty of it as a species for, like, 200 years afterwards. Around then, I think Marsco feels that it's overreaching a little bit. They kind of step back. We start handing money over to TTI to colonize Europa. There's a general tone around 400 of Marsco stepping back out of the limelight and becoming the benevolent parent rather than the dynamic leader of vector kind. Uh, more Mama Mars, less uh, God Emperor of Seoul. Which is more or less where my history of Marsco ends. It's very telegraphed. <laughs> Much of the kind of anti-human pro-vector discussion is in a section of uh, Song and Silence called The Silent War, which begins with the discovery of the um, the master's voice phenomenon and how that kind of creates a, a purge of humanity, which really kind of reminds me of a lot of the anti-intellectual purges you get in 20th century Earth. One of the kind of question marks in Marsco history is uh, during the period leading up to the decimation of all life on Earth, we don't really know what they were up to then. The, you know, TV miniseries of the origins of Marsco that I watched last month shows the entire company kind of launching itself up into space. And of course, there's nothing left behind, but there's no reason a company can't be spread out across multiple areas. And it's suggested that a lot of the companies, a lot of the Terran companies and the corp towns they created really threw their weight behind Marsco and just kind of put their support behind Big M, which... (sighs) does not fit with any company I've, I'm familiar with because they tend to put their weight behind themselves. Unless there's some powerful interest, there's no reason to not just steal from other companies. Um, so, Well, if it's momentarily advantageous, then sure, you play up your ties with a rising star or a local power. Yeah, it seems equally likely that Marsco had planted a lot of agents around. Likewise, uh, Song and Silence points out that the idea of the help the help them memo is kind of too good to be true, which we, we come back to over and over again. Um, what, what group was able to send Marsco the complete documentation of how to build uh, these customized life forms? I mean, nowadays it seems pretty easy. You just, you know, put a couple thousand credits into the bioprinter and you've got the thing. It can't have been that much easier, more difficult back then. Um, the technology was available for the plagiarizing. So, Again, we don't know what Marsco was up to in the pre-Terran fall days, but probably fairly active on Earth and on Mars. Oh, well, you did have to grow the vector population and grow the infrastructure to support such. Yeah, yeah. That takes a while before you can just print out a new city when the old one gets full. <laughs> well, and we don't know how big the colonies were either. Probably not terribly huge because the terraforming of Marsco, of, the terraforming of Marsco, the terraforming of Mars took a few decades. So they might have had that much area to spread out on. There's the story of the colony that 
grows so fast, heavily using AIs to raise uh, to raise babies and coming up with an entire psychotic excuse me, an entire psychopathic generation. Because being raised by machines, it turns out, is not that good of a thing. We call them millennials. <laughs> so, kind of two branches on the question of how does Marsco function in the world, and one is how does it function in the campaign world for vectors, like as the conceit of vector reality, and how do we as game masters use this company as a tool? Looking at its role in the campaign world, it's the fundamental backdrop of society. It's gone on since the first 700 years or so quietly percolating the background. Uh, its main functions are media, education, agriculture, and manufacturing. This is kind of its its four-legged stool of its business. Uh, it also seems to concentrate heavily on really nice high-end luxury goods, like the blue skies, ships. In this kind of luxury world, private education is probably a high-end luxury good as well. The uh, creation of the Geomat, which they may still have the patent on, I don't know if... I think Geomat's in the world are so scarce that maybe they are still the province of just one company, but that would help them make monopolize the blue sky industry as well, because I send a geomat out to a place and then it accretes a starship around itself. I, I don't know how these things work. Go oh, eat the asteroids, build a building in space. We are launching the starship seed. Now <laughs> go forth into the asteroid belt and grow into a mighty ship. What montage track are we using for this one? <laughs> No, I know. Rocky. Get it? It's asteroids. Uh, okay. I have the tiger who'd work as well. It's like mine, except it's not funny. <laughs> uh, Marsco, in many ways, sets the standard of living and kind of the common moral assumptions for the world. It's the common culture across the solar system. They've put the kind of the auto food program in place that makes sure that people get nutrients if they're going to die otherwise. It's the trade language, and since Marsco founded IRPF, presumably the kind of vector rights initiative that IRPF sometimes supports is is their product, ultimately. They do have a division that's focused entirely on what we cutely regard as sort of a Bill of Rights sort of thing. So oh, let me guess. Their motto is, I am the law. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> we all stop talking. There's not a podcast. Uh, it's the lowest common denominator. Kind of the, the modular housing seems like it's a, a good starting point for any kind of rags to riches game. In a very real sense, Mars Coast sets sets the bar or sets the default that other corporations and other mega corporations can then compare themselves against to show what they excel at. Which, for a Game Master tool, I think is really useful. If you kind of scroll back to when we were first wrapping our heads around this game, we um, kind of having trouble dealing with what their society was. And Marsco is the most human of the corporation. Human, <laughs> not, ge not generic. Uh, they build skyscrapers that are basically square and do not contain eyes or self-aware... Dumbwaiters. Yeah, self-aware dumbwaiters. <laughs> um, entire floors that vanish mysteriously. They're not weird. They're fairly conservative. Uh, even Marsco people's names tend to be fairly human, just spelled creatively with 700 years of linguistic drift and cat vocal cords. Which, from a Game Master perspective or from a story perspective, could not be more suspicious if they had a giant neon sign saying, big things here. <clears throat> well, we'll get to that too. <laughs> but I think it is, if you're beginning your play 
in Exodraconus, starting with Mars Code makes perfect sense. They are exactly as sci-fi as you need them to be, and no more. I would worry a little bit about engagement, player engagement starting in Marsco. That, I mean, you argued against generic a little bit, but it is and can be kind of generic. And sometimes you do want a little bit more flavor right from the beginning to kind of get the group meshing and off and running. Yeah, it's, you could call Marsco generic. You could call Marsco society generic. That's not necessarily a bad thing. There are some games where you don't want to dwell too much on uh, what color the sidewalk changes when you step on it. That's distracting, and too much window dressing can really detract from looking through the windows. I mean, I don't know how much time C.J. Cherry spends on discussing the the way the areas look, in term, but she usually goes straight towards uh, political interactions. Yeah, usually. But then you also don't want your game to be a day in the life of the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker either. You say that. <laughs> Starting characters, though, they can, they, can, they can go that low. It would be atypical. I mean, even in a fairly low-power game like first-level HSD, the characters are a little exceptional, but, but not very. True. Well, I understand that there's no such thing as, uh, as shopping game sessions in HSD because there's no, no actual money to spend. <laughs> <laughs> looking, at, looking at you, Ashtar. <laughs> He's mocking us. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's um, a strong dystopian backdrop, obviously. Uh, Marsco is like 700 years old. It's, it's the mecca of all conspiracy theories. But some of the descriptions of it, yeah, I think the first description of Marsco says that a Marsco street is like the archetypical street where you're gritty, firm-jawed protagonist is going to stalk down. Uh, it's it's low in cyberpunk all over the place. Kind of reading some of the descriptions in the Sacred Tomes, it reminds me strongly of the transition in the Star Wars franchise between the little movie that falls between Arc 1 and Arc 2, which I can't remember the name of, but it's... The Holiday Special? No, go, no, <laughs> oh no, no, no. No, the one where, like, file formatting becomes, like, a major plot point I'm getting like Rogue One Rogue One yes yes thank Final you formatting interesting yeah like media physical right because the, the the MacGuffin at the end was finding the, the tape in the giant tape library yes so towards the end of the movie we see the same hallway that Princess Leah is going to be running down in the 1979 version am I dating myself with a 750 year old reference and it's nice and clean and pristine there but you bounce forward to uh, the original, like, Luke Skywalker story, and everything is kind of gritty and grimy and shows a lot of wear. Marsco's technology is so modular, they just recycle everything and kind of re repurpose and refurbish, just rearrange rather than recreating, that one can imagine a very rundown, gritty, gray backdop in, in an under, I'm going to say ungentrified, but that's not the right word. And everybody lives in fear of the day of recycling. <laughs> well, an, un an underfunded Marsco area could be pretty grimy and bleak. It's not all rosy and mass-produced. I mean, it's all mass-produced, just not all rosy. You say underfunded, but there are certainly no utopia. Um, that underfunding could just be being overlooked or neglect. It could also be through ineptness or carelessness on the, quote, leadership of organizers that may be redirecting the money to somewhere else, yeah. internally or just more public. Well, there's no evidence that Marsco cares about anyone. <laughs> As the ultimate conspiracy, I think it has a lot of merit because it's ancient. It's kind of like the Illuminati, but with like big billboards. 
while it's a mastermind with infinite resources, it doesn't have the deep attention span. It doesn't have the focus. It doesn't really care about smaller stuff in favor of the big picture. So it's disinterested, but still quite dangerous, which makes it, I think, a great conspiracy backdrop uh, to dig into. It'll take at least six or eight campaign sessions to focus its attention on the party. Yes, it, it definitely could be a little bit slow to refocus, but it also could be a very compelling over um, full campaign arc. I mean, we're talking, as you said, several hundred years previous, Marsco kind of step, took a step back from being the forefront of vector activism and vector technological progress and all of that good stuff. Um, I mean, certainly that the, the public story of taking a step back and letting the other mega corporations have their day in the sun or whatever makes a very, very nice Marsco funded miniseries. But that's not actually a very compelling reason. The, the conspiracy theories that you can spin around that could very well be, well, 300 years ago, they discovered something that they've been completely focused on and hiding from everybody else, or they've been completely focused on and putting all of their resources into. Which, I mean, 300 years, or however much it is, time is so hazy, we need to deal with Marsco. That's about the timetable you need for a proper Lost Empire campaign. Mm -hmm. If that's the type of campaign that you're interested in, which is really soul-spanning or maybe not galaxy-spanning, but at least solar system-spanning plots and subplots and conspiracies and very high science fiction epic uh, gameplay, that's a very good place to start that story or to bury that story. Yeah. For me, Marsco could easily be the equivalent of the dungeon setting in D&D. Um, &D. I mean, it's ancient, you know, beginning... Like High Marsco was like 400 years ago and it's been collapsing ever since. You've got uh, ancient lab labs that are no longer monitored that serve fine foundations for treasure, uh, buried research, slush funds, all sorts of things. It's it's like a dungeon complex, but in paperwork instead of stone. But you don't have to use Marsco that epically either. There are so many different corporations, subcorporations, subdivisions, black sections, black teams, what have you, that... Uh, more so than any other megacorp, to have a rogue division, or even not just a rogue division, just a division that's not working the same way as you might expect as a vector or as a player, Marsco is a perfect cover for that. It also plays against the backdrop of being Marsco. They don't have an ulterior motive that we know of, so you don't necessarily expect the crack commando team or the crack stealth team or the hackers that keep making the party stumble and sticking a thorn in their side to be coming from Marsco. And that's a place where you can use the seven company misconception to your advantage as a game master is people think of Marsco as being slow moving, which it is tacky, which it is. Oh, they're sponsoring us this week. Um, <laughs> oh, well, um, but it's subdivisions can be very light on their feet and very agile. Um, we started with pulse. That was originally Marsco subdivision. They can be entities on the PC size. There's a lot there that, is technically Marsco, but is not bound by the huge inertia the mother company has. And it's important to remember that too. Marsco is all of its subsidiaries as well. And those are there to take the blame in the fall, etc., etc. Touch back to another question that we had in a previous episode. Should the should the PCs, should the players have the ability to spin off their own corporation or to lead their own corporation? If your answer is yes, Marsco is also a really good place to put that on. Yeah. Infinite resources, infinite blame. Exactly. I guess I guess the rap kind of is that Marsco's many things, but they're also kind of a blank slate. 
if you if you need pretty much anything that just doesn't fit with any other major corporations or you don't want to spike an ongoing story with the corporations or play anti-trope with, you know, the, the Pulse robot team or whatever, you've always got Marsco. Yeah, it's hard to say what Marsco isn't because they... Marsco is everything. Yeah, that's their slogan, really. Here we are. <laughs> what isn't Marsco? I, I have a note on this somewhere in my, my notes somewhere. Um, well, what isn't Marsco? Um, the only well, you can really say what isn't Marsco is the future at this point. Marsco has really started to slow down, consolidate, wall in their power, wall in their garden, and stabilize society. They are not reaching for the next massive technological breakthrough or societal shift. They have become very conservative in action and thought, and that they are deeply embedded in keeping vector society where it is and where it kind of has been for the past 300 years. Yeah, they're more likely to buy research or quelch it than launch their own initiatives these days. Mm -hmm. I would have said they're not agile. I mean, some of the subsidiaries might be, but by and large, it is a company that is not making strides in any direction at all. Well, if you're not heavily invested in, in a particular direction, that can make you more agile. Yeah, but the kind of the subtext of Marsco is that they don't have to do anything to make money because the entire universe is just channeling money upwards into them. Mm-hmm. The entire board of directors may very well be dead or just a soulless AI, mm-hmm. but there's still money is still trickling upwards into the coffers and it doesn't matter. Uh, Marsco may or may not be alive or dead, but no, I would definitely agree with that. In on the scale of mega corporations, which is not the scale that very many things operate off of. You really only have seven or eight players of mega corporation scale that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Marsco is, in my opinion, easily the least reactive or the least agile. Yeah. Everybody else, all the other mega corporations have a certain drive, have a certain initiative, have something that they're really pushing and iterating and developing on and towards. And Marsco is just behind them, supporting them. If the PCs are facing off against a lightweight, fast-moving team of Marsco reps, that group may be able to move and respond quickly, but their superiors aren't necessarily going to respond quickly. Or if they do, either that group or their bosses are going to be pretty much on their own. Theoretically, Marsco has infinite resources, but there's not necessarily any way to know if a local group is going to get that stuff channeled towards any specific project. But what becomes so incredibly dangerous and or terrifying about that little agile group of Marsco team is they literally have access to resources and people everywhere. True. Everywhere. One thing I was going to, since we're kind of on this topic, one thing I'd put off for the um, kind of about Marsco characters is what you're least likely to find in a Marsco party is an expert. And uh, it's a very general corporation. I'll come back to that idea later, but I think it's kind of fits into what we're talking about now is they don't do the deep dives. They are big picture to the exclusion of the smaller picture in some ways. Again, that's generality. Mm-hmm. There comes a time in each man's life when he can't even believe his own eyes. Well, after your description, I don't think I'd want to see it either. So that brings us around to our weekly round of What's Awesome this week. And I have a number of contenders for most awesome uh there was an article in a lot of astronomy and science websites about the first long-term orbiting visitor from another from beyond our solar system which is a small rock in 
reverse in, 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 you know, the Trojan meteors that kind of follow at the furthest point away from Jupiter. It's like that, but moving in Jupiter's orbit opposite Jupiter. So the first kind of long-term visitor to our solar system is in the Jupiter orbit. That that kind of fits the game pretty well, I think. But that is not what I think is the most awesome thing this week. That would be the reboot of Thundercats. It's coming up in 2019. The re-reboot? The re-reboot of, <laughs> of Thundercats that's coming out in 2017. This one is uh, steering away from the original original a fair bit. Especially in art style. Oh, you've seen it? <laughs> I've, I've seen a still. Uh, yeah, it's uh, really very... It's like Steven Universe meets Sergio Aragonis's Grew the Wanderer. Huh. There's another 775-year reference there. <laughs> Powerpuff Girls and Teen Titans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, okay. the executive okay. producer did the Teen Titans, and I like the Teen Titans. Yeah. I mean, it's got a lot of flack for not being very true to the source material, but it's fun. Yeah. And it's got that kind of light, airy animation style. It's most similar to Steven Universe, but it's Thundercats. Uh, just as action-packed as the original without any sort of sense at all, as far as I can tell. <laughs> uh, looking forward to seeing the theme song. There is a sort of guided tour video up, which I will eventually put in the show notes. I've been really bad about show notes for the last three cycles or so. Disc, disc. Well, one that got my attention is some group which decided to actually test this reactionless drive that people have been proposing for a while. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and actually do a rigorous scientific test of it. It does work, right? I mean, not, well, not as advertised. But. It, it, it works to, to what extent the Earth's ma magnetism is exposed to the engine. Also, the engine works as well no matter how much power you put into it, mm. which is strong evidence that it's, you're, it's just basically a, a weird way of measuring the Earth's gravitational effects. Oh, so more like a drunkard's walk than a legitimate propulsion device. Right. As they shield it better and better, they see the purported effect disappearing. Huh. But it, it's neat to see actual science, rather than just discarding something as in this this sounds stupid, this isn't worth our time, actually putting time into, into testing it and saying, okay, look, here's why it doesn't work. Is the Zotrope that device in the glass globe that just spins forever in sunlight but doesn't actually go anywhere because it's just kind of the white and black panels spinning? I don't know what those are called. I think are there like radio, radi something? But anyway, it's like using that for a star drive. No, no, because that actually does work. Well, it does, but it doesn't escape the glass globe very well. <laughs> well, you you could use that to as as a method of propulsion. I mean, solar sails work. Okay. So so, so actually, that's a, that's. I guess what I'm not saying is that's a very bad analogy. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's all I got then. Okay. The uh, the Musk report has been pretty quiet lately. Aside from the boring tunnels, the boring flamethrowers, and the new boring candy shop. What about the dragon? We're, we're still waiting for more details on the cyborg dragon. Yeah, I did like the candy shop, but there's not a lot of details on that either. Looks you like know, a brittle. <laughs> in Australia, musk is a major candy flavor. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so on, st stop right there. <laughs> yeah, on that note, catchy outro line. <laughs> Good night. Intro music is Future Club and outro music is Tronicles, both by Serious Beat. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Radio Free Demos and may be used in any not-for-profit project with appropriate credit and notification. Check out our website, RadioFreeDemos.com, that's D-E-I-M-O-S, for more rambling, resources, links to official and fan-driven content, and our full catalog of episodes. And look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.
the company in the campaign world. I was told we were getting the shakes. Maybe later. <laughs> after after the podcast here. Okay. okay. 